This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Claudette, did you notice the rain last night? She's otherwise engaged. There we go. There Sorry we about go. that. Uh, <laughs> the rain. Hmm. I didn't sleep well. I didn't notice so much the rain. It was just my dog always wanting me to get up and go out with him. But uh, it seemed to be a little bit of a blur. Well, in my neck of the woods last night, I'd say it was about 9, 9.30. Well, didn't it roar? Really? Roaring rain. I love the way you do that. You sound like a lion. <laughs> <laughs> roar! Um, it was coming down pelting. Anyway, uh, it went on again, and then there was another little wave. And uh, earlier today, uh, Richard Duggan was giving out the news, and he said, you know, we got a few showers here mm-hmm. in the OCM Valley, and we immediately got a call from a listener saying, uh... More than that. Look out the window. Yeah. And I was standing in front of the window at the time. I said, no, it's... Torrent? You know, just a little bit of rain here. He said, well, in Rabbit Town, he said, it is pouring. So, uh, yeah, we, we saw these little pockets going across. And that appears to be more or less over now. We're going to have a lovely weekend on at least the Avalon Peninsula anyway. Uh, Labrador still got a lot of rain. I just checked the radar then. They've got all these bands of precipitation going across Labrador West and through central Labrador Lake Melville area. So a wet one for sure. Which is good for the sunflowers. We didn't plant any. I don't know how all of a sudden I have these four beautiful big sunflowers that just kind of like the flowers just bloomed. Oh wow. And I I mean, maybe it's, you know, age, and I don't remember, like, throwing some sunflower seeds, but I don't recall doing maybe, it. Maybe you didn't throw them. <laughs> oh, what? actually, hey. oh, I just thought of something. Bird seed. Yes, exactly. I'm That's what it is. I'm always putting bird seeds out there. There you go. You can thank your local Blue Jays. <laughs> And not the one Sarah Strickland And follows. not the one that Sarah Strickland is following. I look forward to the games. I've got to say, I'm looking forward to watching tonight as well. Although, oh, lately, <laughs> not that enjoyable. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but yeah, so the little birdies doing what the birdies do best. Pollinate. Pollinating. Sort of. <laughs> or, yeah, or at least moving term. them. <laughs> but yeah, isn't there uh, isn't there something about sunflowers that are so spectacular? You know, you see this thing popping out of the ground, you're like, huh, what's that? Should I pull it or not? And then it's like, Whoa. yeah, because it does look like a gigantic big uh, weed. But yeah, you're right. I have, my husband actually came out of the lot, Lazy Boy this morning to see because I told him that they bloomed and he couldn't believe it. Burn, burn, come here. <laughs> That's what I did. And then he came out with me and it was raining and we didn't care because it was so beautiful. Yeah, they are uh, really something to watch. Awesome yeah. kind of flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, it really rained. But we're going to have a nice weekend. So that's great. So people enjoy it out there, especially after the first few days of school. Uh, all the uh, kids getting used to the fact that, oh, yeah, I got a few days off now so I can go enjoy summer again. stuff now yeah, yeah. again <laughs> once again <laughs> well uh we spoke about school but uh the school year uh, got off to a little bit of a dark start this year and uh the full extent of this is yet to be known we we have no idea at this stage but both the rnc and the english school district urging parents and caregivers to remind students about online safety in the wake of an ongoing investigation 32 year old marcus hicks uh, a teacher and volunteer 
volleyball coach is facing a charge of sexual assault. Police urging those who may have interacted with either of two false social media profiles to contact the police. Well, RNC Constable James, James Cadigan joins me now with the latest. So, um, of, of course, the investigation continues uh, surrounding this uh, case uh, first brought to light uh, yesterday. But um, um, there's a warning now um, to parents, to young people, to anybody really who uses social media about, you know, um, how to do it and how to do it right and, and what you need to be aware of. Uh, so what are uh, some of, uh, I guess, the key points that uh, you and I, I would imagine the school community wants to get out there? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I know this is uh, a lot of information and, and difficult uh, discussion to be had. Uh, you know, I can tell you that with this ongoing investigation uh, today, you know, we confirm that more people have reached out and uh, our investigative team are communicating with, uh, with the community. Uh, so w- with regards to social media and then communicating online in, in many capacities, you know, it's important to, you know, uh, be wary, use caution, and if, if you're communicating, ensure it's someone that you know personally and that uh, you're not just adding people or, uh, you know, uh, communicating with contacts that, uh, you know, are not known to you. As much as, you know, when, when communicating online, uh, it's so easy to, you know, be added or or be, you know, receive contact from, from any particular uh, social media application from someone who you may not know. You know, it's it's a simple process and, and may seem like a simple decision to just let someone become your, your friend or, or uh, contact on a social media app. But uh, just by simply allowing that ad or, or allowing that person into your friend group on a social media app, allows them to gain information about you and, and you know, essentially develop the ability to communicate with you in a way that makes you feel that they know you. And uh, that's an important piece to understand. And so it's when you're looking at social media applications and these different uh, apps such as Snapchat, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and so on, you know, it's important to keep your guard up and understand the risks of uh, communicating with people that you do not know personally on these applications. And the sharing of information, whether it be um, just general information or even in images, I would imagine, it is a concern. Yeah, certainly. And, and I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. So sharing of, of file data, photos, uh, if you're sharing that with someone who you do not know personally, then you're putting yourself at a significant safety risk. And uh, these individuals will use that information and, and content to you know, essentially blackmail or, or you know, gain some kind of upper hand. And it's important to avoid being put in that situation and, uh, you know, really protect your private and personal information. What are some, I guess, uh, alarms that uh, people should be aware of? You know, if somebody starts to ask you for particular types of images, you know, show me your whatever. Um, is that something that should be a, a red flag and say, whoa, 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 uh, maybe I should think about this? Yeah, I mean, so when you look at sharing information online and social, on social media applications, uh, it's it's avoid sharing any of that personal data, you know, photographs and, and uh, any of that information because, you know, you can never really control what becomes of it, you know, on something like Snapchat or, 
or Instagram and whatnot, especially when you're communicating with someone you do not know personally. Yeah, once it's gone, it's it's out of your control. Precisely. I mean, when you look at sharing of photographs, for example, I mean, if it's of an intimate nature and it's out there in the community, then you look at the criminal element behind sharing of intimate photographs and, and you're looking at essentially investigating the gravity of, of that in the community and, and how it impacts our community as a whole. Certainly, you look at the school community and it's important to understand the risks uh, you know, for our for our school community, such as you know, in high school, junior high, the the kids who are carrying phones and and accessing these applications. So uh, it's important that we discuss this openly and make it very well known the risks that are associated. Have our RNC in the past, or is it something that you uh, consider in future? You know, work with schools to to get these messages out there and ensure that uh, young people, in particular, uh, p- because they're more vulnerable, um, uh, are aware of these things. Yeah, so the RNC has uh, provided uh, programs and communication in the past related to the social media activity and, and the risks associated. And, uh, you know, it's certainly important, as you mentioned, to be present and and visible in the schools with this type of information and to work with the school district uh, in our province and ensure that our information is current and uh, useful, essentially, to the school community, uh, you know, to ensure their safety. But, uh, you know, I I do want to stress again that uh, while we talk a lot about the school community, uh, it's really everyone who is using these applications and uh, being aware of the risks associated with uh, communicating with people who are accounts essentially that you may not personally know. Constable James Cadigan, I do appreciate your time and uh, no doubt we'll be hearing more about these things in the, in the near future. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. So the uh, the awareness is uh, being heightened now about uh, um, sharing things online, uh, who you friend online, making sure you know who they are, uh, because there are, are some people who are posing as <laughs> everything else but who they truly are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of these things, and there's no way to really know unless you know. Uh, so uh, it, it's an important message in the school district, although they can't say very much because there is an ongoing police investigation underway. They are urging parents and others to uh, talk to young people about the sharing of images and staying safe while uh, online because they all have this little device in their pocket or in their hand and people can get at them anywhere. Uh, when you and I were going to school, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do it? They actually had to call a phone that was attached to a wall usually in the kitchen on the in on the, the physical wall where everybody is yeah ex- <laughs> so. right in the middle of the house yeah yeah there is no everything unless you had one of those super long cords you could go around the corner and close yourself up in the bathroom <laughs> or a, a closet or something and eventually one of those the portables right yeah that's <laughs> eventually. right uh so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you they had to physically pick up a phone call you mm-hmm. ring your house where your parents were yeah <laughs> and get a hold of you or knock 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 on the door or you met up at the mall or you met over up at the convenience store or something like that yeah i mean those and simpler now, days strangers can get a hold of you anywhere anywhere yep. and i guess a lot of us can become complacent putting too much information out there because we know that it, everybody's doing it and you almost feel like 
you know, why, you know, it's not going to happen to me, but it sure can. We've seen some horrible stories in the news where this has really yeah. gotten out of control and you can't take it back once a tragedy happens. So. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, you're a young person and all of a sudden you're getting attention from somebody, you don't know who they are, but they seem okay. They seem to know a lot about you. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, I'll sure I'll friend you. And now they're part of your group and now they know a lot about you. And so easy to groom once yeah. you get a little bit of information exactly. from what you put out. So um, all may not be as it seems. Yeah. And you know what? It's not your fault. No. No, it no, is no. not your fault. Some people like to blame victims, but uh, no. And I certainly hope if there are victims that they would know that the police are doing some sort of like a trauma approach. Yes, to absolutely. Contacting They're letting... Them. And, yeah. and I've been talking to James about this over the last little while. They are letting uh, the person that comes to them, they're the one that guides the process. Yeah. So it, it's not a blame. It's uh, how can we help you? How yeah. can we assist exactly. you? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly the words that he used. So um, anyway, if anybody has any information, the RNC is looking to speak to you and they'll let you guide the process. Um, coming up, the opposition raising questions now regarding some of this news that is uh, starting to emerge about school safety. Uh, this is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Well, opposition education critic Barry Petten raising concerns about safety in the K-12 system in light of this charge laid against a uh, teacher and coach, 32-year-old Marcus Hicks, arrested on Wednesday. He appeared in court yesterday following a search of his paradise home. Um, Barry Petten spoke with reporters, including VOCM's Richard Duggan, uh, about some of his concerns in light of this uh, ongoing investigation. It's, uh, it's very concerning, actually, and this was prompted me today, but I guess to get ahead of myself, uh, last year we had a serious attack of PWC steps. Uh, so, you know, we're a year over a year later. A lot of parents were concerned there and then. So, you know, one, one question, what about the safety audit? Was there a safety audit done? I mean, we don't know. We don't know the results of a safety audit. You have a safe and caring school policy that hasn't been updated in over 10 years. 2013, I think, was the last time it was updated. Things have changed, evolved in the last 10 years. We know now we're into this most recent arrest which, to my knowledge, is a social media issue. You know, it's through Snapchat or whatever, one of those, one of those portals. And, you know, children need, like, so are we capturing that? Are we teaching children? Are we protecting our children? That's the question I got. Are, are they safe? I guess that's the biggest question that comes out when I read about this this week. And based on last year, and I was also the shadow minister of education when this happened last year, and it caused me concern. Are we getting any further ahead? Are we dealing with those issues? I mean, this, those are not new issues. Those, so, this social media world we live in is not new. So that could be captured within the safe and caring school policy, and I'm wondering, have they done that? We're not getting no assurances. We're asked the questions, but I mean, the department are very, uh, very brief on what they give, and I guess uh, something that caused me concern this morning, uh, uh, individuals forwarded me a letter or a memo from Mr. Terry Hall. Give to it. They received it at 8.30. The children were dropped out of school. They're all concerned. This is in the news last night. So 8.30, they get some memo. Basically, they couldn't elaborate on anything. They said they shared the RNC release. So, you know, all due respect, that's not good enough. That doesn't cut it with CEO, CEO of the school district and the department themselves. So what assurance are they giving people, uh, children and parents? I think it's, you know, it's a cause of me concern and brings me here today. It's a very active investigation that's undergoing right now. And, of course, there's a lot that they can't say because of that. What information is lacking? Like, how should things be communicated? 
Well, I think I'll go back last year with safety audits, right? So what, you know, what, what's in, what's in, what protections have been assured to children, parents and children in the last year before we, this even happened this week? But I think one gap that no one are talking about, and I know a bit more Davis has been out on this too, is the kids in the no program. This is to teaching children about sexual exploitation. This is what it's about. She's met with the minister. She's met with previous three different ministers in the last four years. And they're all giving this, we're, we're, it's a pilot project. We're, we're proceeding, we're doing a pilot. We're going to continue to pilot. This year, I met with Bevmore Davis, then also met with Minister Howell, addressed this issue, among other things, with Minister Howell. And they said, we're doing a phased-in approach. Now, respectfully, what, get on with it. I mean, this small, uh, Malls for Smalls Foundation are willing to pay for this. Now, there is a cost to training teachers, but like the Premier's own words, you can't put a price tag on safety of a child. And I've used those words, so I think we all should use those words. So why not, why not introduce that? Why isn't that already introduced? All the provinces have had it for 10, in the Brunswick have had it 10, 12 years. It's not a new thing across the country. That would go a long ways. If it's outside the active investigation piece, we have to teach the children because there's only so much you can do preventing these people from entering our school systems. That's the reality. But you have to teach the children. I mean, I had two, two girls went to school, and I mean, we were always very conscious, and that was a fear. Any parent would have that fear. And if you've you got a child in school, they must be mortified. And this happened again. There was a serious event last year. I don't think they got really the assurances. I know parents that from children in PwC didn't feel safe. Now it is happening again. So are our children safe? And are they given the proper tools and education, training, to, uh, to, to pick up on these things and to protect themselves? I don't think they are. So that's Barry Petten talking to reporters this afternoon, including VOCM's Richard Duggan, and he's asking questions that uh, uh, appear to be echoing what I'm hearing from a lot of parents in uh, in the last day or so about, uh, you know, why isn't the school district uh, providing more in the way of assurances to parents uh, that um, the, the school that their child is attending or schools in this province are a safe place to be. We have been t- uh, hearing from for years now about the safe and uh, caring school policy that schools have in place. And ostensibly, I think that was put together uh, mainly to deal with uh, bullying and that kind of thing. Uh, but are students safe from other things as well is the question. And uh, Barry Petten asking um, whether or not a safety audit has been completed and uh, whether or not the safe and caring school policy, which has been in place now for some time, uh, should be uh, updated because as we know things change and evolve and devolve and uh, all the rest of it and I mean when you have an element uh, to uh, school safety that includes uh, social media and the internet things that uh, you know are a little more ethereal but very real and very harmful potentially um, then um, is that incorporated into all of that a lot of people wondering now I mean, the English School District and the Department of Education have both deferred to the fact that a a police investigation is underway, and I think that's well understood. Uh, Nobody wants anybody to do anything that might uh, jeopardize a police investigation or... um, you, You know, why would you speak to something when you don't really know what you might be talking about, if you know what I'm saying. But does the school district have a role to play when it comes to offering those assurances, not only to parents, but to the students that they are entrusted in caring for, uh, for a big chunk of the day? Um, What kind of assurance can they supply to uh, parents and students uh, that their safety is 
and uh, being insured in a school uh, setting. So um, no doubt we'll be hearing more about this in the days to come, but it is uh, uh, fodder for discussion. Um, and if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. And we won't be talking about any specifics on uh, th- certain things, but, uh, you know, general concerns, absolutely. Well, coming up, uh, two announcements today in Labrador. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Now, see? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we say that right off the top that, you know, we were going to see these little pockets of intense rain? Well, it's happening now in VOCM Valley, folks. We both looked to the window at the exact same time as soon as the words were uttered out of Sarah's mouth. Well, we gave each other that look. That look, yeah. Anyway, uh, be careful out there if you're driving. I'm laughing about it, but uh, uh, be careful out there if you're driving, especially if it's a downpour and your windshield wiper blades are not keeping up oh, with yeah. it. That's and the a scary feeling on, on the, the highway. On the outer ring, too. Yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, do uh, keep your speeds down when the wet, when the rain is coming down heavy. Well, the provincial government made two announcements in Labrador today. Premier Andrew Fury and Labrador Affairs Minister Lisa Dempster were in Lab City to make an affordable housing announcement and to provide an update on the medical travel assistance program. Premier Fury joins me now. Hello, Premier. Hi, Linda. How are you? Great. So you're up in Labrador West uh, for uh, some announcements, some government announcements, one including the medical transportation assistance program. And I know there'd been some concerns raised about this in the past, whether or not it met the needs of people in Labrador who had to travel great distances for medical appointments and follow-ups and procedures and the like. Uh, So what have you announced today? Uh, Certainly. So we have uh, heard and understood that the... uh, financial burden of medical travel uh, is quite uh, quite significant um, in these times especially with the high cost of living uh, but we made a commitment to the people of Lab Grenfell which of course includes St. Anthony and the Great Northern Peninsula uh, to reevaluate the MTAP program and one of the things that I heard loud and clear from patients when I was practicing and subsequently as Premier was that having to pay up front and then get reimbursed was very, very troubling and problematic uh, for people as it, as it trapped their monthly budget, because oftentimes it would take months to get reimbursed. So today what we announced was that we announced a voucher system so that people could get online. They can get online today, fill out an application. Uh, they will be provided a voucher, which they can take then to provincial airlines and book a ticket to travel uh, for medical purposes. Them, and in addition to them, if they require uh, a, a companion, then that will be uh, that will be covered as well. So that's covered. The first thousand dollars is covered 100%. And we also made an additional effort. This is new money for them uh, to cover the second thousand, or what's beyond a thousand, from 50% to 75%. So a significant announcement for the people of Lab Grenfell and who utilize the MTAP program today. So the voucher is available for the patient and a, um, you know, a family member or, or support person as well? If it's medically warranted, yeah. I understand that this is in conjunction with PAL Airlines, is that correct? It is. We're very fortunate to have a, uh, a good corporate partner in provincial airlines and 
when we went to them, they were uh, very open to the idea. Uh, of course, Minister Dempster has been the lead uh, on this file, and she's had a great working relationship with provincial airlines. We're fortunate that they have the scope uh, and capacity uh, to be able to uh, work with us from an operational perspective, from a flight perspective, um, and a route perspective. So it, it made perfect sense uh, to have a partnership with them on this on this file. So it's it's good for them, it's good for patients, and it's good for the province. How did you arrive at this change? Does it reflect what you'd been hearing? Well, certainly. I mean, I remember in one of my early visits uh, to uh, Lab West as, as a physician, really, truly then understanding the burden of the frequency of trips to St. John's. I mean, I would frequently see someone just for a 10-minute, 5-minute visit recheck, and they would have to uh, fill out multiple forms, put put the cost of the trip on, on their visas, and then not be reimbursed. So that's a significant cost to individuals. Um, and then as I became premier, I heard from, from patients and constituents, uh, some were carrying ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars uh, on their on their credit cards uh, because they you know they were waiting to be reimbursed or because they had acute uh, medical problems. And, and that's just not acceptable uh, for the delivery of care or for the operations of the province. Uh, so that the voucher system was an idea that we had that would eliminate that upfront cost uh, for patients and and families and it's uh, it, it won't be income tested either so this is available to everybody within the lab grantful region and i understand you're also making a uh, an affordable housing announcement in labrador west what does that entail certainly we understand uh, that the people of lab west have been uh, have been growing as a community um you know it wasn't too long ago in lab west that many people would come here and work here and and contribute to the economy of Newfoundland and Labrador, but then would retire somewhere else. Uh, but now, uh, with a booming economic engine, social uh, network here in Lab West, people are wanting, as they should, to stay in the community that they call home. Uh, so we will be announcing initiatives that look at uh, the housing capacity in what I would argue is a unique uh, Newfoundland and Labrador economic environment in Labrador West. Um, for housing in general, but more specifically uh, for seniors and how we can uh, work together with um, with the social network, with municipal leaders, with stakeholders to ensure that we are creating uh, uh, housing that's affordable and affordable housing for seniors and residents of Lab West alike. Yeah, because affordability is, uh, as you say, kind of a unique situation in Labrador West be because of, you know, all the uh, um, resource-based uh, um, activity. Absolutely. I mean, we're so fortunate as, as Newfoundlanders and Labradorians to have access to a vast amount of resources and natural resources that will power, by the way, the current and new global economy. But we that will often, as it is in the case in, in Lab West, create unique economic circumstances. And uh, and there's different uh, salary pressures, there are different housing pressures, there are different cost pressures here in Lab West. And we certainly recognize that as a government, but we equally recognize the value of the people of Labrador West and what they contribute uh, to our social fabric and the economic engine of, of the big land. Premier Fury, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much, Linda.
So there you go, two announcements in Labrador West, uh, which is uh, sort of chugging away <laughs> the economic engine, as some people have called it, of Newfoundland and Labrador, but uh, facing its own set of challenges. So a uh, couple of announcements made there today. Uh, the medical uh, transfer one, um, the program that was uh, available there for people who uh, lived in Labrador, or I should say Labrador Grenfell Health uh, region or zone, uh, that includes part of the Northern Peninsula. Uh, anybody who required a follow-up appointment, let's say in St. John's, for instance, um, they had to pay out of pocket to get on an aircraft and fly in, perhaps with somebody uh, as a support person, either a spouse or a loved one or a child or whatever the case may be, and, and pay all that up front and then get reimbursed after the fact. And that was something that um, the MHA for Labrador West, Jordan Brown, had raised sometimes, some time ago. And he was calling for a review, if you recall, earlier in the year. Claudette um, to have a look at the the medical transfer program. Does this program, as uh, Premier Fury outlined today, go far enough? Um, I'd love to hear from somebody, maybe Jordan Brown, for instance, uh, to see what he has to say about that. Well, coming up, uh, as we know, this is hurricane season. We're keeping an eye on uh, Hurricane Lee churning away there in the uh, mid-Atlantic. And the province is urging residents to be prepared. You recall, uh, Claudette, that we were going to air a little bit of that news conference that they held yesterday, uh, but we ran into a few technical problems. So right. there's some important messages in there. I thought we should uh, at least give it a try and see if, uh, you know, uh, what people have to say about it when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, you will recall yesterday that Public Safety Minister um, John Hogan called news conference to talk about preparedness as hurricane season is now upon us. It's still way too early to get an accurate bead on Hurricane Lee that's churning away in the Atlantic right now. But some projections have that powerful storm turning northward and tracking towards Atlantic Canada. We'll be watching that over the coming days. And as um, uh, we head into early next week, we'll get a better idea of whether or not that's going to, in fact, be any kind of a uh, a concern to Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, the devastation caused by Hurricane Fiona nearly one year ago, still fresh in all of our minds, not the least of whom are the people who lost everything in the, uh, especially on the southwest coast area, and the rebuilding in the Port of Basque area and burnt islands and the like continues. Well, we had uh, part of John Hogan's address yesterday ready to go, but an unforeseen technical issue, of course, prevented us from playing in full. So I thought we'd share it now since it's an important reminder to be as prepared as possible in the case of a natural disaster. Here's some of what Minister Hogan and Jamie Kennedy, the Director of Emergency Services with Newfoundland and Labrador, had to say. We all know, unfortunately, that the world and environment around us is changing. Climate change is making a once in a generation weather events very frequent, much more common. Major hurricanes, floods, and fires have increased in frequency, even in recent months. We can look at the recent flooding in Nova Scotia, the deadly fires in Northwest Territories, and in Hawaii, and extreme weather events are clearly changing our lives, cities, and our communities forever. Here at home, we saw the devastation of the fires in central Newfoundland. We experienced the impact of Snowmageddon, 
and we are still feeling the effects of Hurricane Fiona on the southwest coast today. As I speak to you now, we are days away from peak hurricane season. In fact, Hurricane Fiona last year and Hurricane Igor in 2010 formed right around this time and reached our province about two weeks from now. Because of this, this is a good time to remind residents about emergency best practices they can use to keep their friends and families safe and also today to announce the new tool to help people be prepared for these emergencies. We stress all the time, and I can't stress enough, that residents must be prepared to go it alone for at least 72 hours when the disaster strikes. That means three days of food and water, a basic emergency kit, and having essentials like prescriptions, medications, or other supplies for your children and your pets. I know that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians take care of each other, and I encourage you to care for your communities. Ensure the roads, ditches, and drains are clear of debris, and review emergency plans. It's always a shared responsibility and I encourage all residents to do their part for their communities. As a government, some of what we're doing to improve our infrastructure includes replacing nearly 32,000 linear meters of culverts over the last two years. Just for context, if that's laid out end-to-end, -end, it would extend from here in St. John's all the way to Holyrood. What the last couple of weather events have revealed to us as a government is we need to always continue to provide timely and accurate information to the public both before and during these life-threatening weather events. We needed to create a one-stop shop for information. This is why I'm pleased today to launch a new public information tool to use during our emergency situations that will be, that will be accessible through the main website for the government, www.gov.nl.ca. If we deem a major emergency as imminent, a new emergency preparedness webpage will be activated and connected to gov.nl.ca. This new emergency preparedness webpage will act as a single source of public information, enhancing communication with the public ahead, during, and after an emergency. The new webpage will only be triggered in the event of an extreme weather emergency, such as a major hurricane or a forest fire that are threatening our communities. We want people to know that once this website is activated, the threat of extreme weather is real and adequate safety precautions need to be taken immediately. The webpage is easy to use, mobile friendly, and will be deactivated once the threat is passed. If you look for the web page now, you won't find it because currently everything is all clear. But as we are about to enter a turbulent few weeks of potential storms, we want to remind people about emergency planning and providing this new tool helps to equip residents throughout the province for the most significant part of the hurricane season which is now upon us. Beyond that, it can be used to respond to any matter of emergency, from fires to blizzards to tsunamis. I now invite Jamie Kennedy, Director of Emergency Services, to, to talk to you and take you through how the new tool will be activated and to give you a demonstration of what to include in emergency kits, which again, we encourage every Newfoundlander and Labradorian to keep in your home. Jamie. Well, thanks, Minister Hogan. Uh, so activation of the uh, new emergency preparedness uh, tool uh, will be a responsibility of the Emergency Services Division of, the, uh, of Justice and Public Safety. And it's really based on a forecasted event uh, and a strong likelihood of, of impacts. So here, uh, in the, here is the Provincial uh, Emergency Operations Centre where uh, emergency Services Division uh, coordinates um, 
the province's response to significant uh, emergency events like hurricanes and, and wildfires that pose uh, a, ri- a significant risk to public safety, critical infrastructure, and the environment. Um, so the emergency services division personnel are in a constant state of monitoring and engagement with uh, a network of emergency management partners um, and and we are collaborating with them on a regular basis. Uh, Should the emergency service division become aware of a forecasted event with a strong likelihood uh, of impacts, then we will activate uh, the the system or the emergency preparedness website to step one. Uh, As you can see, uh, step one is Hurricane Watch. Uh, And what that means really is you know our regional emergency management planning staff uh, will be uh, will will be tasked with engaging and starting communications with uh, municipalities who potentially uh, could be impacted, and our our manager of plans and operations will will then begin to uh, communicate with our uh, emergency management partners within within the province. So. We know this event is, is, is coming, uh, so now the Emergency Service Division c- continues to uh, monitor the track of the hurricane. Should we determine that the hurricane is imminent, uh, uh, which really means that we're certain that uh, uh, there will be impacts from this particular event, uh, we will move, uh, we will activate the system or the emergency preparedness website to a, to a step two, uh, which will be a hurricane warning. Uh, and what that really means is uh, we really need people to um, be aware of the potential impacts and, uh, and start getting uh, prepared. Um, and once we uh, move into that, then ultimately uh, we're hoping by now, uh, you know, if you haven't dug out your uh, emergency preparedness kit, uh, you should definitely be, be thinking about that right now. Um, so step two, uh, again, is, uh, so, so first of all, step one, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that there will be a physical presence here uh, in the Provincial Emergency Operations Centre, uh, but again, you know, we'll have our Emergency Service Division staff and personnel uh, engage in the event. So that's Jamie Kennedy, Director of Emergency Services with uh, the Department and Minister John Hogan, who um, uh, put that together yesterday about uh, emergency preparedness and the launch of a new website that will have all the information that um, people need if a disaster should be imminent uh, in terms of uh, a severe weather event like a hurricane. Well, uh, you're going to hear more about this now in VOCM News at 5 o'clock, but Unifor now saying that 54 for workers with Jazz Aviation here in the province losing their jobs because of service changes made by Air Canada. Jazz provides regional service under the Air Canada Express brand. Unifor representative Shane Field says St. John's-based PAL Airlines will take over some of Jazz's former routes come November the 1st, also flying under the Air Canada Express banner. He says the shift means layoffs for 25 workers in Deer Lake, 16 in Gander, 13 in Happy Valley Goose Bay, and in Central Labrador. Terry Udall, a jazz spokesperson, says layoffs are due to changes to Air Canada's schedule. Udall will not confirm the expected number of layoffs in Gander or Deer Lake. And whether or not this means that PAL will be able to pick up any of those workers. So there's uh, still some uh, questions that remain there, but... 
You'll hear more about that in VOCM News coming up at uh, 5 o'clock. So um, I've got a question for you now, Claudette. Yes. <laughs> Where do you stand on Nickelback? Oh, um, okay. Love them, hate them, love to ind- hate them. Indifferent. I mean, they're good, but... Uh, they're one of those bands that so many people love, love. to yeah. hate. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They oh, have I'm not one of those. a reputation of being terrible uh, in some people's estimation. Right. Uh, and other people love them. Um, so <laughs> Nickelback has tasted the hater aid from the band's zealous detractors. And there are a lot of them, heaven knows. And they are raising a toast to them. A new documentary called Hate to Love Nickelback <laughs> premieres today <laughs> at the Toronto International Film Festival. Well, I'll bet that film is a hoot. Uh, the rockers from Hannah, Alberta have signed off on the film that in part grapples with their complicated legacy. On one hand, they've delivered numerous top-selling albums over their three-decade career. On in the other hand, they're often called one of the most hated rock acts of all Time. That's quite a legacy. It's a history that bassist Mike Kroger, brother of frontman Ch- uh, Chad Kroger, says was impossible to ignore as they considered how to tell the story about their formation and worldwide success. And so the band decided to tackle their reputation head on by acknowledging the hate in the documentary's title while dedicating a small part of the film to dissecting how they landed such paradoxical popularity. Hate to Love Nickelback from rock documentarian Lee Brooks will also screen at the Toronto International Film Festival on Saturday and again September 15th. That's so there pretty you go. impressive to capitalize on the haters. <laughs> that's <laughs> for sure. That's pretty ingenious. Well, you can't uh, ignore it, really, because the, you know that is part of the mystique of the band, is like right. Nickelback. Ugh. You know, there's so many people who love them and so many people who are just like ah, you know <laughs> and i don't exactly know why that is but it is but we'll find out if we ever get a chance to watch that <laughs> for sure <laughs> i think it's i i love rockumentaries or rockumentaries rock right yes i just love them some of my favorite films of all times have been uh, about music one I of them love for, was queen for me and just oh, yeah. learning a little bit of, of, about the you know the stage presence as you mentioned earlier on this week with yeah. uh, freddie mercury with all of his uh, things being up for auction and uh, that's why you brought that up uh, but yeah like uh, i feel like i i have a little bit of not fear well, fear of missing out these documentaries or rockumentaries as you called them it made me want to mourn for the concerts i've never been to and i'm not a concert real you know yeah. goer but yeah. you they really do such a great job that you just want to be you feel like you're in amongst the energy yeah that and, that's so palpable and the concert experience i don't know yeah. i haven't been to a concert since covid anyway uh but the concert experience i can remember growing up i used to go to a lot of concerts because mm-hmm. i lived in montreal and uh yeah you get that oh that feeling of being and like i feel it now when i'm thinking about it and talking about yeah. it um but i don't know if it's the same now or not if right you get the, because it, you know they've gotten bigger and bigger and now you can just look up at the screen and, and see that. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's different. Um, on the, the Jays' front, and no doubt uh, Sarah Strickland will go on and on about this. Yes, in her she sports. will. I said that back lovingly. tonight, Linda. Uh, Bo is back. Uh, uh, what do they call him? Bo Flows? 
Is that right? No, I didn't know that. He's I, got the beautiful hair. The, the hair, yeah, the hair and the the bandana, and he he looks more like a tennis star. He does play tennis too, by the way. Yeah, he's uh, big into that. Yeah, for sure. Well, he's uh, reinstated after being on the ten day injured list. The All Star shortstop has been out since August twenty seventh, and they've really been trying to figure out that shortstop uh, position since then. Uh, he took uh, batting practice at Rogers Center just hours before tonight's game in Can- uh, against the Kansas City Royals infielder. Mason McCoy was optioned to the Blue Jays AAA affiliate in Boston, uh, sorry, in Buffalo in a corresponding move. Bichette's uh, 314 average leads Toronto and his 18 home runs are second most on the team. 18 home runs. Wow. That's pretty good. <laughs> Claudette's anyway, just going, uh, mm, what, I think what so. Was that? <laughs> what what huh? were you saying? What are you huh? talking about? Bohu. Okay, yep. Bohu is Boo-hoo, right. Bohu. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll be looking forward to the game now when I go home tonight. Um, Sarah will tell you more about that. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back on Monday. I do hope you have a safe and enjoyable um, weekend. Thanks for listening. <laughs>